Well, in Luke chapter 1, our Advent story begins, right? A, a young teenage girl gets the message that she's pregnant. A message that, that in our lives, some of us have gotten that message too, only she got it in a little bit of a different way. She didn't get it from a doctor. She didn't get it from a pregnancy test. She got it from an angel who appeared and said, Mary, you're pregnant, and this child that you're going to bear is going to be the Messiah. A little bit different kind of message. But my guess is, my guess is Mary's reaction to that truth that she's pregnant was very similar to the reactions of those of you who have become moms and dads when you first heard that you were pregnant. My guess is immediately her heart was filled with with the hopes and dreams and plans that she had for her child, just like you as parents have for your children who are baptized, right? You've got designs for your kids of who you hope they will become. You can probably already picture them being a soccer star in college. You can probably already picture them being, being the best in high school, the best looking fitting right in, being popular, doing well, getting good grades, getting into college. You probably already imagine the type of job you'd like them to have, the type of income you might want them to have to take care of you in their old age, your old age, right? You can already, maybe if you dare, you maybe already can imagine them walking down the aisle with Mr. or Miss Wright. And you've got a whole life planned out for your kids. I think Mary had the same thing. Right? We plan those things, we dream those dreams for our kids, and then we pray hard. We pray hard as parents because we don't get to see ahead into the future. We don't get to know whether those dreams and plans will come true. And that's why what I think is so powerful about the gift of baptism that we just experienced. We don't get to see the future, but we get, do get to see God's promise that he's part of that future that he will carry them. And so we can love our sweet, sweet children while we pray hard for them, right? Advent, we're celebrating the arrival of a sweet little child, right? For four Sundays, we prepare for a birthday celebration. That's what Christmas is. It's a birthday party, a birthday of a sweet baby Jesus. And our whole culture around us will celebrate Jesus' arrival. Whether they believe he's the son of God or not, you're going to see the celebration on December 25 all around us. They'll join us in remembering the angels and the shepherds and, and the wise men and the donkeys and the sheep all gathered around a little baby. They'll join us in celebrating the birth of Jesus. And then, sadly, too many of us will join them in ignoring the rest of the story, ignoring who this baby becomes. But the truth is, we cannot celebrate the arrival of a baby without also celebrating who he became as an adult. We can't ignore who Jesus grew up to be. So this Advent season here at Ivanrest, we're going to remember who Jesus, who this baby grew up to be. We're going to work through Jesus' life backwards this Advent. Usually at Advent, you focus on what the first two chapters of Luke, everything that happens before Jesus, working up to his birth, right? You, you look at Zechariah and Elizabeth and angels and wise men, 
we're going to go the opposite this year. We're going to start by looking at who Jesus grew up to be and work backwards in his life towards his birth. So that when Christmas Day arrives, when we come back together here on that morning to celebrate the birth of a baby, we know who we're truly celebrating. We know who he grew up to be. And the man that this baby grew up to be isn't nearly as cute or safe as we imagine him to be. I'm certain that who Jesus grew up to be isn't even close to who his mother Mary imagined him to be as she held that little newborn baby. He did not fit the hopes and plans and dreams that she had for her little boy. When she heard the angel tell her that she was going to have a son and that her child would be the Messiah, she imagined him to be a hero, right? Isn't that who the Messiah would be? He'd be a hero, a national leader, a great success, someone who's revered and loved by his people because he's gonna bring them freedom from the Romans and establish the nation. That's what she imagined. In reality, what she saw was she saw her little boy grow up to be a rebel. A rebel. That's the truth that we're celebrating here at Christmas. Not the sweetness of a little baby in a manger, but the raw rebelliousness of the man that he became. And honestly, Rebels make most of us uncomfortable, don't they? We are most comfortable with people who play by the rules of society, who fit in, who don't make waves. So as we dream our dreams for our children, my guess is we dream that they'll fit right in at school and not stand out too much. We dream that they'll find a good, solid job fit into the economic society of our world. We dream that they'll meet a nice young man or a nice young woman. We dream that they'll be a good, productive member of society. That's not Jesus. That is not Jesus. If we want our children to grow up imitating Jesus... And if we want to imitate Jesus in our own lives, and I hope you do, hope you want that for your children, I hope you want that for yourself, because that's what God asks us to do, to imitate his son. If we want to imitate Jesus in our lives, then our children and we are not going to fit nicely into this society. We are not going to go along with all the cultural expectations around us. We are not going to nicely play by all the rules that our culture tells us to play by. If we're going to imitate Jesus, we're going to be rebels. Because Jesus did not play by the rules. If you like calm, if you like peace, if you like the status quo, if you like sweetness, and if you really like West Michigan nice, then this birth is not one you really want to celebrate. 
because Jesus is a rebel who pushed against the establishment, who did not play by the rules, who ended up turning everything upside down in order to rebuild it for God's purposes. Right? Take out your Bibles. Turn with me to Luke 22. Luke's gospel shows us clearly the rebel that baby Jesus grew up to be. Luke 22 is page 857 in the Bibles in front of you. This is right towards the end of Jesus' life. This is the little window of time between when he's arrested and when he's executed on the cross. And in this, in this one day, this one day of Jesus' life, we get to see his whole life of rebellion summarized. We get to see defiant Jesus taking a stand for God, rebelling against the powers that be. His lifetime of rebellion is encapsulated in this brief time between his arrest and his execution. Luke shows us that Jesus doesn't play by the rules. So look at chapter, the end of chapter 22 with me. It's Friday morning. The Friday morning sun rises in verse 66 of chapter 22. And that sunrise gives the religious leaders of the day permission to begin their trial over Jesus. They couldn't do it until the sun rose. They now have permission to exert all their power over him. So Jesus is marched into the courtroom. He, stand, he stood before the Sanhedrin, the council of elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law. These were the religious power brokers of the nation, the wisest of the wise, the most powerful of the powerful, the ones who have the authority to judge him all the way to the very point of the death penalty. And Jesus Jesus is supposed to crumble before them, right? Everybody is supposed to obey them and live their lives according to their direction. And here he is, Jesus is dragged in before them, a broken man. All night long since his arrest, he's been mocked, he's been beaten throughout the night, and now here he is stood before them, and he knows there's no way out. They have him. They've got him in their power. And any good rule follower, any good member of society that day would wave the white flag and would humbly fall in line to them. They clearly drew the line, and if you were wise, you towed that line. That means you'd live to see another day. Here's Jesus standing before them, and he refuses to play their game. Verse 67, they ask him, if you are the Messiah, tell us. That's the crux of the matter. If he says, no, I'm not the Messiah, he's probably free to walk away, to live to see another day. If he says, yes, I'm the Messiah, he's condemned to death. So what's Jesus going to do? They demand an answer from him. He doesn't give them an answer. Before all the leaders, right? These are the best of the, of the best, the brightest of the brightest, the wisest of the wisest. He says to them, he says, if I tell you, you would not believe me. In other words, he looks at them and says, you know, I could try and explain this to you, but you just wouldn't get it. 
You guys aren't smart enough. You wouldn't understand, so why would I bother? Whoa. So they follow up with question number two. They ask him in verse 70, are you the son of God? They demand an answer, and again, Jesus doesn't play their game. His reply to them is is simply, you say that I am. In other words, your words, not mine. (laughs) You said it. You said it. Those are the words and the attitude of a rebel. A rebel who dares to question the religious establishment. A rebel who dares to question the way that things are always done. A rebel who dares to question all the assumptions that you're supposed to mindlessly accept. A rebel who dares then to pay a high, high price in order to make sure that the people of God are following the purpose of God. To make sure that they're following God's plan. To make sure that they're following God's design. To make sure that they're truly pursuing the kingdom of God instead of worldly comfort or worldly power or worldly affirmation. And if you and I today are imitating Jesus in our lives today, we will engage in a holy rebellion in order to ensure that the church today is truly pursuing the kingdom of God. Like many of the millennial culture of our day, we will often ask, why are we doing what we're doing? Why do we believe what we believe? We will engage in the difficult conversations with authority to keep them faithful to God. We will live out what we believe, even if that defies cultural norms, and we'll pay whatever cost that comes with. We will be faithful to God's kingdom calling, even if that means we push against the establishment of religious power in holy and healthy ways. Right? Jesus did that. Jesus was a rebel against the brokenness of the religious establishment of his day. But his day had just begun. It had just begun. He didn't stop there. The sun had just come up. And in chapter 23, these religious power brokers, since they can't get a straight answer out of Jesus, they ship him off to the political powers of the day, to the ones who actually did have the power to execute him. They send him first to Pilate, the top Roman authority, and then to Herod, the top Jewish political authority. And the same thing happens. Jesus refuses to give in to their political power. He refuses to give in to the injustice that they're promoting. So at the start of chapter 23, Jesus is now paraded into court with Pilate, the Roman governor presiding as judge. And with the full authority of the whole Roman Empire behind him, Pilate holds the power of life and death for Jesus. He can send him to the cross. He's got that authority. Jesus should be scared. 
But Jesus again refuses to deviate from God's calling and from God's purpose. So in verse 3, when Pilate asks him, he says, Are you the king of the Jews? It's a loaded question. If he says yes to that, anybody who claims to be a king in the Roman Empire is executed because you cannot challenge Caesar that way. So do you claim to be, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus doesn't deny it. Did you see that in his answer? Like a committed rebel, he tells the most powerful man in the country, your words, you said it. (laughs) Then he's even more defiant when he's shipped off to Herod. Herod, this Jewish puppet king, This is his last chance in the rest of chapter 23 here. To win Herod to his side would be to save his own skin. But as we see the picture, Luke paints the picture of Herod plying Jesus with questions, trying to get him to entertain him. And at the same time, the the whole Sanhedrin, all those elders and teachers of the law have gathered again. And they're throwing accusation after accusation at Jesus. And And Jesus rebels against their power and Herod's power this time by staying silent. He refuses to acknowledge their authority. He refuses to be a part of their system. He refuses to compromise his commitment to God in the face of the pressure of this political power no matter what the cost to him might be. And that means that if you and I are following in Jesus' footsteps as we live our lives, we too will appropriately rebel against the political powers that be of our culture. Jesus is willing to push against the established powers when they're standing in the way of being faithful to God. He's willing to to respectfully take his stand for God's purposes and and experience the consequences that might come. So when you and I imitate Jesus, our commitment to God's kingdom will come before our commitment to any country. And our commitment to God's purposes will come before any commitment to any political party. And our commitment to God will come before any commitment to any leader. And our primary decision-making filter in all of life will be faithfulness to God. That's what will guide our choices. That's what will shape our decisions. That's what will determine our actions, no matter the consequences. We will rebel against the political powers of our day when they stand against God's purposes, just like Jesus did. Sounds radical. Sounds dangerous. Sounds frightening. It's not even the most rebellious thing Jesus did on that day. Here at the end of the story, we get to see the picture that we absolutely must have as we celebrate the beginning of the story. This newborn baby 
grows up to rebel against the spiritual powers of sin and death and Satan and hell itself. You see, ever since our fall into sin, ever since Genesis, death has been an ending. Death has been a horrible defeat. Death has been a complete loss. But our rebel Savior refused to play by those rules. He refused to accept that brokenness. He refused to give in to that truth. He refused to let death have the last word in his life. So in chapter 24, when the women come to his tomb three days later, they don't find a dead body. They find an angel there who says to them in verse 5, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. This rebel Savior of ours turns the established spiritual powers and patterns upside down, flips them on their head. Judgment now is replaced by grace. Sin is erased by forgiveness. Death, once a bitter end, now is transformed into a brand new beginning of an eternity of glory, a beginning of new life. Since our Savior Jesus was born again, not only as a baby in a manger, but born again in a tomb, now we too can be born again, not in a hospital, but born into eternal life. You and I are given the opportunity to be born again. You and I are given the opportunity to follow in Jesus' rebel footsteps and refuse to give in to Satan's claim on your heart to refuse to let death have the last word, to refuse to let your guilt doom you forever when you receive God's grace, to refuse to be defined by sin and to choose instead to be defined for eternity by God's forgiving grace and mercy and love through his rebel son, Jesus Christ. That is the gospel truth that we must remember, not only in April when Easter rolls around. That's the gospel truth that we need to remember here at Christmas, especially here at Christmas. Because Christmas, the birth of this baby, doesn't mean a thing without the rest of the story. It doesn't mean a thing if you don't know how the story ends. Honestly, there's people all around us who will go all out celebrating Christmas this year. They'll have the parties, they got the trees, they'll buy the presents, they'll have the feast. They will go all out celebrating Christmas this year when celebrating Christmas is the last thing they should be doing. When we know who this baby grows up to be, then we realize the very sobering fact that Jesus is the truth upon which all eternity pivots. His birth at Christmas 
Yes, it signifies the arrival of God's grace. It also signifies the arrival of judgment. This is a birth that should not be celebrated ignorantly and lightly. In fact, turn with me one more time. Matthew chapter 10. Matthew 10, page 791. This is not your warm, fuzzy Christmas passage that we read in December, every December. But maybe we should read this every December. Because it tells us the truth about Jesus' arrival here on earth. Listen to the sobering truth that Jesus himself says, starting at verse 32 of Matthew 10. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be members of his own household. There's the sobering rest of the story. The rebel story that we can't forget. Jesus is that eternal dividing line between those who have accepted his free gift of grace and salvation and those who have chosen to turn it down. And many in our society, probably some here this morning, acknowledge the baby at Christmas, but refuse to acknowledge the man he grew up to be. And that leaves him on the wrong side of God's offer of grace. That leaves them with precious little to be celebrating at Christmas. But many of us, by God's grace, have acknowledged who the baby grew up to be. And we recognize Jesus not only as a baby in a manger, but as the risen Savior walking out of the tomb as well. And that gives all of us who know him as our risen Savior the stunning privilege of introducing him to those around us, introducing the grown-up Jesus to them. It gives us the stunning privilege of living a countercultural, rebel, holy life that will show them Jesus in the way we live. It gives us the stunning privilege of pointing them from the, the empty manger to the empty cross, to the empty tomb that gives us the fullness of life eternal. So as we start this Advent season, and as we, as we begin to ramp up our Christmas intensity, listening to all the Christmas songs, getting our trees up and decorated, buying and wrapping the presents, making the candy and the cookies, and setting the feasts around the family, God, as we ramp up Christmas celebrating this baby, intentionally remember who this baby became so that you can truly celebrate who this baby is. God's rebel. 
turning eternity, turning your eternity upside down. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for rebelling against the way that things were, against the brokenness of society, against the brokenness of our sinful hearts, against the brokenness of our souls that were captured in guilt by Satan himself, and you refused to go along with the status quo. Thank you for rebelling against the brokenness in the religious culture. Thank you for rebelling against the brokenness in the political culture. Most of all, thank you for rebelling against our brokenness in the spiritual reality we live in. For not letting Satan win. For not letting death have the last word. For putting the kingdom purposes of God above all else and be willing to pay whatever price that might take including death itself, in order to be faithful to your calling from your Father and to his kingdom purposes. Thank you. Now give us the courage to imitate you, Jesus, to be rebels for your purpose, to be rebels for your cause, to dare to stand out when fitting in would be the easiest to dare to speak up when being silent would be safe, to dare to pursue your kingdom purposes when it'd be so much easier to pursue our own. Father, this Advent season, remind us of who your son grew up to be so that come Christmas Day, our hearts are overflowing with true gratitude for who we are now in him. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.